thinking about knowledge and this idea that in, in a way we can become paralyzed if we think we need to have enough knowledge to actually even act. And I was thinking, well, again, it's like how we're taught about knowledge. And I think we mistake information for knowledge. Welcome to the Wild Minds podcast for people interested in health, nature-based therapy and learning. We explore cutting-edge approaches that help us improve our relationship with ourselves, others and the natural world. My name is Marina Robb. I'm an author, entrepreneur, forest school, outdoor learning and nature-based trainer and consultant and pioneer in developing green programs for the health service in the UK. listening to episode 12, Rewilding Power Dynamics and Wild Pedagogy. I wanted to pick up on the importance of consent and power and how so often we don't realise how this operates in our lives. I also discussed some core ideas within the field of rewilding education and wild pedagogy. I hope you find it interesting. So today I want to give some gratitude to the time of year, which is about the harvest time of year. So it's sort of August, September time, and it reminds me to gather and harvest from the last year and to give some time to that. And I'm grateful to be harvesting a lot of moments that have provided times for reflection in that rest that I talked about back in the summer. And particularly today to think about this idea of power and energy. And at this time of year, according to some older traditions on this land and in other lands around the world, you could say that the energy that has been out, like the sun, the, the high summer energy is beginning to turn inwards. So as we go into the autumn and winter, it's more reflective. Some people associate that with like masculine qualities of energy and, and then feminine qualities of energy. So I'm really grateful to have had some time to consider some of these things. Today, I want to be thinking and talking about rewilding education and this idea of wild pedagogy, at least touching in on these areas and how some of those ideas might look in practice. But before that, I want to just talk to you all a little bit about think about ideas about power and choice. So I'm generally not so worried about how we define educational practice, um, whether we think about forest school as a practice per se or outdoor learning. I think it all has value because you get to unpack it and think about it. But I'm really, really interested in what good practice generally is and how we can learn from other ways of thinking and knowing and bring that into our 
everyday practice, wherever we are, whatever job we do, because a lot of it's all always going to come down to our relationship to ourselves and others and the wider world, I think. So I'm interested in good practice and I'm interested in this idea of how power plays out and how choice plays out and how and when we feel we have choice. And I like these ideas about power over, power that's shared, inner sense of power and what all these things might mean and how they might link to well-being as well and our ability to function well in our lives and to make good decisions in our lives. So this is a little follow-on from my conversation with Max last week about real-worlding education. And I also really got stuck in a way of thinking about this idea of coercion. Like, if if it's true that we break a horse, you know, what are some of the elements that break a horse? or And are we breaking children into a particular way of thinking? And yes, we are, no doubt. Um, but that's part of culture, isn't it? That's part of what we do in a culture to live to live with each other is we kind of break each other into these ideas. But of course, some people have more breaking power than others. And yeah, this idea of what are those elements? And of course, when I think about coercion, a lot of the tools we have are around you know, you punish people or you shame people or you make them scared into doing things so that we learn that way. And that's kind of like a lot of the behavioral tools, isn't it? That we will punish you and then you'll go, right, I'm not going to do that again. But I also thought, well, that's a bit one way of thinking too, because we also do things because we we have a feeling of love and connection and wanting to have that connection and I guess that's where that attachment theory comes in and 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 that's positive we 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 change our behavior because we love other people and and situations and we care and we understand that the world doesn't just revolve around us and that actually we need to figure things out together so I'm still on this inquiry around why we behave the way we do and who has the power and starting to look at how power operates in our lives and in our systems. So I had a call with some students this week and we were talking about having the confidence to take our practice outdoors and this idea that we just don't have enough knowledge to do it. And as always, I'm never... um, extreme in my thinking of course we need to learn and and do training in order to think about how um, we work with others particularly when we think about therapeutic practice and the the importance of this idea of power and how we how just by our positional power we can influence other people and of course a lot of us including me like to be right and that can really have a detrimental effect on on others. So thinking about knowledge and um, this idea that in, in a way we can become paralyzed if we think we need to have enough knowledge to actually even act. And I was thinking, well, again, it's like how we're taught about knowledge. And I think we mistake 
information for knowledge. And knowledge is something that's much more complex and rounded and is linked to our feelings and our kind of sense of if something feels right as well. It's not just about information. So let me think about or share with you about this image. You know, you've got a teacher, for example, at the front of classroom that that imparts knowledge and the children don't have that knowledge. So immediately you've got this kind of dynamic where it's set up that that you, the teacher, the uh, director, whoever, have the knowledge and everybody else doesn't. And we have this dynamic where where I know that I can feel like I don't have, I don't know enough, I'm not good enough, I, I don't have enough to be showing up and it makes me feel smaller than the person that's sitting at the front or standing up and, and taking this role. And when you actually start to think about that, it's, it's something we've learned and something we're not used to sharing knowledge and sharing power and being a little bit more vulnerable in that way and not thinking that we always know. So there's something that can really be a barrier if we believe we should know, then we never step out. If we believe we have, we can gain all this information because that's what a lot of it looks like, isn't it? Information, 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 rather than a a real sense of um, ourselves in some ways and, and, and this, I guess, brings together this link of these different aspects of ourselves and how we develop them um, or not. Ever felt unsure about writing risk-benefit assessments for outdoor sessions? You're not alone. It's a crucial legal requirement that many overlook, leaving them uncertain and unsure about risk. But imagine having the confidence and competence to navigate this seamlessly. That's where I come in. So head to theoutdoorteacher.com slash risk to sign up now and master risk benefit assessments with ease. And lastly, if you're based in the UK, why not immerse yourself in nature with one of my transformative trainings in the beautiful landscapes of Sussex. Discover more about our in-person courses at circleoflife-rediscovery.com. So out of that is this way of considering how we operate in our groups and how we leave time for the other to share their experience, their imagination, their um, ways of seeing things. Or do we just focus on what we know and stay in a way in a safe zone because, you know, we're not used to this sharing that goes on. And this links very much into education, into lots of our practices. And I also really had an, also had an experience where, because a lot of my work is also funded, where we forget that, that when you're given funding, that again, that sets up this dynamic where the person that gives you money or invests money, of course, has uh, an agenda and has power and sometimes we can unconsciously kind of uh feel like 
we can't set boundaries because they've got power. And if we set boundaries, they're going to remove the money or you're going to lose your job if you say what you think you're going to say. And, and, and I think this operates all the time in all our systems and really, really worth thinking about. So when we think about consent and saying yes to something, we also have to have a sense of how power is operating in our lives and um and and the difference between knowing something you know someone can say oh yeah sure you know you can you can say what you like oh yeah please please share what you think in fact i really want to know what you think about this while completely dismissing the reality that they have a lot of this positional power they have a lot of uh, power and you're not going to feel comfortable saying actually you know i totally disagree with what you're saying you know how can a how can a child in a class the way it's set up even the the way a room is set up actually feel they have power so this lends itself into a lot of the work that we do outdoors and the setup of you know sitting in a circle maybe sitting around a fire or sitting in a way that you know people talk about the great leveling and and it really works when we're not in a kind of one person in front of us we're in a in a circle and and of course this uh, you know just to feed some thoughts again is that this also really matters and is really important in our relationship to the natural world and of course this idea that humans are supreme you know we're super clever we we get to um enact our power and our decisions as we as we wish towards the natural world and so on so really really important to really really think about that in my view so and here I was saying that I was going to talk about rewilding ideas and also a little bit about wild pedagogy and of course these ideas for me sit within a pedagogy within a worldview that is different and and I'm not saying all this stuff this is an exploration this is all an exploration for me and I really value other people's thoughts um so do get in touch if you want to share your ideas or share resources that you think will help me and others expand our understanding of, of this area. But it does link to our relationship to the natural world, which is you know, a fundamental piece of this podcast um, and understanding this wilder, deeper sense of self that we have and that isn't our, you know, recurring thoughts that go on and on and on and on that we don't overvalue this thinking part of ourselves yeah it's amazing you know I'm using it now but there's also these different aspects to who we are and that's exciting and that gives me hope so I said I'd talk about these two areas so I'm going to really refer to Max and others um lovely diagram about a rewilding kind of compass and I've put it on the show notes you can have a little look and just to think about you know what what some of these elements of a rewilding education can be and as I said this is connected to um Max and um Dan's work and I'll I'll, I'll send the link uh to their work on the show notes and some of the compass the compass the ways we orientate ourselves in this life and and they've set out this compass and it and it has sort of four key areas around so 
how wild is this education? And again, we can start thinking about how deeply connected is it to the natural world? How how much do we value these different aspects of the natural world? And, and it makes me think about um, this whole idea of the millions of languages of nature. You know, we're obsessed with the verbal languages, but the millions of languages of nature, which I'll come back to in a minute. But, you know, how wild is this education? How holistic is it? How alive is it? How uh, how are we linking into our facets, our human facets? And how does that connect to the facets and the abilities of all the other peoples around the world, as well as all the other species that exist on this planet. You know, how free is this education? What a great question. Is it is it self-directed? You know, self-directed links with choice and this idea of choice again being, it's not a mental idea, it's an embodied idea. If someone tells me I can show up and I can say what I think, but do I do I feel that in my body? Does it does it feel like I have that choice? So can I self-direct my thinking? and my learning? When are the opportunities to do that, to self-direct? Because we need that, right? When we leave school, um, and if we want to have healthy mental health, and we want to have a life that makes sense to us, that has meaning, we need to have this idea of self-direction. And again, how connected is this idea of freedom, this free, the spontaneity? How, how connected and linked is that freedom with with the container of the living world you know we don't get to do what we want to do all the time what's my impact on the natural world what's this reciprocity again going backwards and forwards so how grounded is this education that we're giving you know and grounded not just energetically grounded you know where we're we can feel so stressed and now we need to be back grounded in our bodies and there are lots of practices around that that are really supported through our senses and so on. But also how grounded, how ethical is it? How boundaried is it? How socially just is it? We can't, we, you know, how environmentally just is it? We can't go on operating as if we're not rooted in this natural living ecological center system because we are. And I like this other fourth compass direction in this model, which is about how consensual is it? You know, is it linked to our own agency? You know, do we feel this idea of consent? Have we even thought about what is consent? A whole nother subject that I'd, I am really interested in and, and you know, hope to be offering some in-person workshops with some key people around that in next year. Do we respect our boundaries? Do we know what's okay for us and not okay for us? What are other people's feelings? You know, do we come along and dominate? Do we find a way of listening and sharing this power? And is it just our consent that's needed? You know, human consent. What about the non-verbal children, people, the people that don't have a voice, they don't have a platform, which I have here? What are all those voices? How do we know if they're even consenting here? And of course, we know that they're not. We know that the systems are not yet creative enough to enable 
people to have their voice heard. So that's like some of these ideas of rewilding education, some of these thoughts. And then I was reading this journal that was uh, given to me by Professor Jan White, who you're going to hear from next week. Uh, Really lovely, enriching, deeply thoughtful episode that's coming. Um, In this Australian Journal of Environmental Education, these researchers have really thought about uh, what wild pedagogy touchstones might be, in this case for earlier educators, and they're part of this wild pedagogy project. Um, And they also have these six touchstones, and I'm not going to go into all of them because these episodes where I speak are are not um, supposed to go on and on and on and on, (laughs) but some of them, uh, I'll name them and I might just mention a few points with that. But basically, One of the six touchstones is about agency and the role of nature as a co-teacher. Again, I absolutely understand through my practice that we have, it's not just about the human. It's not just about you, the participant or the teach or the uh, child or whoever it is. It's not just about that. It's about also the, the natural world, all the living, both energetic, both physical experiences that happen and how that impacts us and the role that that plays in our psyche, in our uh, the way we feel, in our behaviours um, and all so on. And there's this lovely little touch of a quote that I took from the paper, which was lovely. It was speaking from the voice of the raven. And the raven said, well, see, you speak your way. They, meaning the different members of the natural world speak in different ways, like thousands of different ways, billions. And I love that. I I feel they're speaking in their own ways. And true, we hardly understand the language of the natural world. And we feel language is just the construct that we've created. Um, So, I love this feeling and this sense that comes from listening to different languages. And of course, as a teacher and drawing on educational theory, you know, reminded me of Montessori's 100 languages of children, you know, that there are languages that are spoken or not spoken, that that are multidimensional as well from children. And again, reminding me that that there are thousands and thousands of languages in the natural world. So yeah, the touchstone, agency and the role of nature as a co-teacher. And of course, this has impact for therapeutic practice. I know firsthand direct experience over the many, many years that being in nature, obviously consensually being in nature, is an incredible space for profound healing insights and learning. Another of the touchstone is this idea of wildness and changing and the, and challenging the ideas of control. Well, I've already really touched on that. And I guess I'm naming that, you know, wild pedagogy is, is saying that we need to just check in with each other, that we, we keep telling children and people and our loved ones what to do often, where to go, and even what to think. Because we, we, there is an aspect of being human that needs 
to to think that it knows. I mean, some people talk about that being the ego part of ourselves, but we need to think that we know. But let's at least step back a little bit and recognize that we're not entirely in control here. We know that from a pandemic. We're not entirely in control. And actually something on my fridge that I had that helped me was just to remind me, um, it said, relax, you're not in control. And for me, that was very helpful during the pandemic because there's a fear, isn't there, that when things aren't in control, that we are lost. We won't be looked after. We are going to be out there surviving on our own. And again, that's that's a narrative. Um, and perhaps, and hopefully that isn't true. Hopefully that isn't true. Hopefully that isn't true. And I certainly know with a relationship to the natural world, an attachment to a place or places, not just attachment to a caregiver, that, that, that this deep relationship actually brings a lot of comfort. And of course, what does, what does the natural world tell us all the time? That things are continually in a state of flux. There's constant destruction, constant creation, constant generation, regeneration in a vibrant ecosystem. There's always a sense of the unknown, um, which sometimes lends itself to this whole spiritual dimension as well. Um, But there's also a sense of knowing too. And remember, knowing isn't information. Third touchstone, it it links to complexity, the unknown, spontaneity. And I I think this is uh, links, again, to what we've already discussed around learning to deal with incomplete complexity, you know, not really understanding and knowing that it's okay that things are complex. Fourth touchstone is called locating the wild. And I love that as well, this simplicity of, and I know it where we call it the green wall, where when you don't have a, a connection with place in different ways that you walk past and all you see is green, you know, there's no uh, kind of sense of familiar with what's around you. And, 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 and like you say, look there and people go, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and actually... It's because, you know, we well, we're probably walking around really fast, but also because we haven't stopped, we haven't slowed down, we haven't breathed, we haven't looked, we haven't noticed. And, of course, there's tons and tons and tons of fantastic exercises and activities, uh, nature-based activities for a school, activities, um, earthwalk-based activities, forest bathing activities. To me, they're all part of the same sense of potential experiences and exercises that can be used across multiple industries for multiple reasons. Um, But here we have this idea of locating the wild and and understanding that that can be right here, right now in an urban city, as well as in a wilder place. Because (laughs) there's more going on than what we can just touch and see. Fifth, time and practice. Well, again, I'm I'm just going to name that We need space, we need time, and we need practice, and we need different practice and different habitual practices to really support um, ourselves and a change that will feel comfortable enough. And the sixth is cultural change. The sixth touchstone is cultural change, and it really implies and asks us to be a bit conscious politically 
and to really also start questioning uh, a very dominant, colonizing worldview. And, and it's a huge subject and we will be bringing this in in this podcast because how can we not when we're talking about wild minds and we're going to be compassionate alongside how hard it is to have inherited so much, have been taught from such an early age to have power over and not power with and to be acculturated, to be cultured into a very specific set of worldviews and set of beliefs. And, you know, we, 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 we've been given that and it's not just from our parents, it's from parents, 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 system, 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 systems, cultures, 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 cultures. And I'm sure we all are able to learn and to change and to do it in a way that is compassion, compassionate, but moves things. So here's a look. I've gone and looked at how power moves. I've looked at some areas of rewilding education and wild pedagogy. And, and I hope that that's been useful. And take care. And I'll see you again very soon. Look at the show notes and find out more. And thank you for being part of this community. Join me next week when you'll meet Professor Jan White, a leading thinker and writer on outdoor play with over 30 years experience in education and an award-winning author. Among many other things, we'll be discussing the importance of childhood, play, the idea of ecological identity and what really matters to children and to early years development. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wild Minds podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to help support this podcast, please subscribe, share and leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will help others find the show. To stay updated with the Wild Minds podcast and get all the behind the scenes content, you can visit theoutdoorteacher.com or follow me on Facebook at The Outdoor Teacher UK and LinkedIn Marina Robb. The music was written and performed by Jeff Robb. See you next week, same time, same place. wondered about the guitar music in my podcast surprise it's my husband jeff robb his show the music of trees is hitting the road across england and wales blending tree stories with woodland melodies catch him live in may june and july tickets available at jeffrobb.com slash shows mm-hmm.